Wow, what a week of college football. It was an incredible week six. It's always the weeks that we don't think that there's a lot going on. Every, every single thing seems to go crazy. Week six is the chaos week, and I think we just saw that. Abe, unbelievable day of football. Unbelievable day of football. Yeah, it, it was great. The games that were big that we wanted to deliver did all the way from noon again until the later stages. But then there's always those couple down the radar games that just pop up and somehow find a way to your screen, right? Like you don't plan on watching them, but at some point other games turn into blowouts. They slide in and uh, they delivered as well, uh, e even through for those of you who made it up all the way to the very end. Uh, 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 just, just an outstanding day from start to finish. Um, and a day that did shape what's going to yeah. turn into a crazy chase for a playoff position. Uh, it certainly did shape that a little bit as we'll get to throughout this podcast. Yeah. It's, it was just a crazy week of college football. We had players throwing other players into punts. We had massive upsets. Uh, people get eliminated from the college football playoff competition. We have some other ones who I think we're still going to be seeing stick around and some who have reinserted themselves after dominant weeks. Um, but I do want to start, Abe, if you will, with probably the team that I was most impressed with, the Georgia Bulldogs. They were unbelievable in this game. They dominated. They dominated Kentucky. They held them to 55 yards rushing. And on, on the offensive side of the football, Carson Beck sets a career-high passing, 389 yards, four touchdowns. We talked about how this could have looked like a new team moving in to week six. I mean, we hadn't seen them look like Georgia yet. They were rated like Georgia because we'd seen them win the last two national championships. But I think after Saturday, we finally have seen them be that dominant team that we expected to see all season. Yeah, it's like uh, John McClain in, in Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. I, I mean, that's what this was. It was an absolute coming out party on a number of fronts. Obviously, for Carson Beck to now back up uh, the fourth quarter performance that he had on the road at Auburn and the performance there with this. But th this is what we've been waiting for. I mean, how many weeks were we, we going to say Georgia's going to – this is the week Georgia's going to wake up. They finally woke up. They're up 21 nothing four minutes into the second quarter. They take away any semblance of what Kentucky wants to do, which is run the ball. Great to see them stop the run because that was yeah. a question coming into this game. Uh, every facet – now, I don't care that Kentucky eventually got to double digits. Every, every facet, this was an outstanding performance from the Georgia Bulldogs and uh, – Look, they had lost 20 first-place votes the previous week in a pedestrian victory on the road, albeit against Auburn. They got uh, 15 of those back, and rightfully so. They have restamped themselves. This is the team that looks like they can win a third straight national championship. We'd seen it in, in spurts. We had not seen it for a complete game. Now we have, and the question going forward is, is this the Georgia team we see week in? and week out did they discover something going on the road and now hosting Kentucky uh still to be determined but it was nice to see this Georgia team uh do what they did and I, I you know I was thinking before the podcast was this the most impressive victory any team has put together this season mm. you're welcoming in a top 25 team the game is over midway through the second quarter with the exception of maybe what Oregon did to Colorado, and I know how we feel about Colorado, but at the time they were ranked. Mm -hmm. um, but with the exception of that, 
you're talking about two ranked teams and the dismantling. It really might be the most complete, impressive performance of any team this season. And I know later on I'll talk about how impressed I've been with Michigan game in, game out every single year. But Georgia on Saturday night, I think, put together the single best performance of the season. I'm not going to go that far necessarily, but I think that this is something that Georgia fans were really looking forward to seeing. Um, this is the Kentucky team that their style of play really falls into the hands of Georgia. We and when we discussed that, Brennan Adams was if they on were going to stop the run, it did, and, and yes. they, they they found some trouble doing that. We uh, we talked about what Auburn did, <clears> but man, I, I I don't have the stats in front of me. It was like fifty something yards as a team, or or whatever 55. it was. Yeah, I mean, that's outstanding for a team you knew you wanted to run heavy. Uh, to, to limit them to that is – that's a job well done from that defense. Yeah, and, and this was a game that when we discussed it on Saturday on college football game time on 92.9 The Game, this was a game that we expected Devin Leary was going to have to win mm -hmm. because when you have a running back and a, and a running back-focused rushing attack, which, of course, this is one of those types of teams – you need a little bit of superior play from the quarterback position, especially if you're facing a Georgia team, which, you know, prides itself on stopping the run, especially when that comes from the running back, you know, and, and it wasn't exactly like that Auburn attack where you have, you can sprinkle in some quarterback carries and, and some diversions that way. Um, Devin Leary proved that he's just not capable of doing that. And he looked pretty out of his depth in this football game. Uh, I was very unimpressed with him for the most part. He did finish with the two touchdowns, but I think by the time he scores, this game was pretty well out of reach. It was pretty obvious by the second quarter that this is just not going to be one of those games that Kentucky was going to have a chance. And they just, they got beat up and down the field. They got beat in the trenches. Um, and this was just the exact kind of game that if you're a Georgia fan, that you've been praying that you'd see. Brock Bowers continued his campaign as the best college football player in the country, uh, regardless of position. I mean, he's just an incredible focal point for this offense. And it doesn't matter really what the other team wants to do. They're not really going to be able to stop Brock Bowers. And uh, he showed that on, on Saturday with this win. And I, I think with this win also, I know we're going to talk about another SEC team that looked very impressive on Saturday, but I think Georgia's taken their place at the front of the SEC as the top dog in the conference, no pun intended, but they're the best team in the SEC right now. They're likely the best chance that they have at a college football playoff spot. But after last week, they're certainly not the only one. And I think that we're going to get into that discussion here in just a little bit. But I do want to move on. I want to move to the Red River shootout because the Oklahoma Sooners were one of, I think, I think they were one of the most impressive performances of the day. Oklahoma had a lot of doubters. They had a lot of doubters. Me. Dylan Gabriel, I said he was going to have to be Superman. He was Superman. 285 yards passing, 113 yards rushing. He had the touchdown. I, I mean, he he drove his team 75 yards in a minute and two seconds to win that football game. It was unbelievable. And on the other hand, Quinn Ewers doesn't really seem to realize that he's playing very important football games. You know, and sometimes when he's playing Alabama, he plays out of his mind good and uh, he looked great again this year against Bama. He looked great against them last year. But then I thought we had turned this page because I thought he proved something to me and to the rest of the country when they played Kansas that, you know, he's going to continue being Quinn Ewers. And that was one of his biggest problems last year is that sometimes he would just turn it off and he wouldn't look very good. And he turned it off on Saturday. He had two interceptions in the first six plays of the game. Like you can't start a football game off like that, especially a heated rivalry like the Red River shootout.
And of course they lose this game. Not all is lost for them. They're still going to have an opportunity at a big 12 title game. They control their destiny for the most part. Um, but it's likely that they're destined for a rematch against this Oklahoma team who I did not give full respect to. And now credit to them because now we have to respect them. Well, look, we came into this game asking, and I think it was a fair question to ask, is Texas the best team in the country? And I think based on what they had done leading up to this game, it was a realistic um, opinion to hold. And for, for Oklahoma to come in, and I mentioned it uh, on the show, on Saturday morning, Oklahoma's a team that forces turnovers. They lead the nation in interceptions. They added, uh, you mentioned the two interceptions. I think probably more damaging for Quinn Ewers was actually the fumble that he had on yep. third down. And so, um, look, I, I don't want to say Texas was unprepared as a unit, as a team, but I think there are aspects of what Oklahoma did that Texas was not ready for. And one of those is along the defensive line. And, and I know Jonathan Brooks got it cooking in the second half, and, and he topped 130 yards. But those were tough yards, and, and some of them not as impactful as you would like to have seen. Texas had a rough go uh, on offense. They, uh, Quinn Ewers was sacked five times. We talked about the three uh, the three turnovers, the two interceptions early on, and the fumble in the second half. Uh, I, you know, if you, you take those away, it, it's actually a pretty good day. He's over 300. Uh, yards. He only had a couple incompletions, uh, but at the end of the day, that's not enough to get it done. Yeah, and, and I mentioned it a little bit. It, this was an Oklahoma team that, against Cincinnati, struggled a little bit in the red zone, but they moved the ball. They had a lot of big chunk plays. I think we did see a little bit of that as well. Uh, and, and again, th this is not your daddy's Oklahoma. They they play a little bit of defense, and Texas up front was just not prepared. I think they knew going into that game against Alabama, it'd be about the big boys. I don't think yeah. they expected that. I don't think they were ready mentally for Texas, excuse me, for Oklahoma to be as good uh, up the middle as they were, uh, and they were, and it made a big difference. We saw Sark. Um, he had to get creative with play calling. He had to take chances. He probably didn't think he'd be taking in this game. And look, a lot of them worked out early on. Uh, you know, obviously the fake punt yep. and, and you had some trick plays here and there, uh, you know, but in the end you get down to the red zone, you have an unlucky interception and you come away with no points. So mm -hmm. this was a game through and through where Oklahoma, who was kind of in that fringe, there's a lot of these fringe teams, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we'll talk about them throughout. Yeah, they're undefeated, but are they really in the championship discussion, right? Yeah. Like the North Carolinas, uh, some of the teams out west, USC, I think, will, is in that discussion right now. Oklahoma was in that group, and they have now flipped. They are in a different group of discussion, and, and this was a big-time win for them. I, I was surprised as you were. I, I thought this was a chance for Texas to come out and make that statement. Yeah. You know, tell people, hey, we are the best team in the country and we're coming for the national championship. Uh, but that wasn't that wasn't how this thing played out. And Oklahoma, very, very impressive. And I, I think you have to now place them into that discussion of. There might be headed towards a college football playoff berth. I, I think you're right. I mean, like this is the team that looks very good. Um, I will say, though, I, I would be hard pressed to believe that they could beat Texas again. Right. Um, you relied very heavily on, on turnovers and I, don't, I just don't trust turnovers in, yeah. in, the, in the grand scheme of things. And 
look, if I'm Texas, this is a wake up call that you needed. And it's, it's not every day that not every year that the college football eventual college football champion goes undefeated. Um, it's not something that happens every year. In fact, I'd say most years it doesn't go on. They don't go undefeated. You know, so a lot of teams need this sort of wake up call throughout the season. And I think that this is exactly what ha- what needed to happen for Texas. And I was very surprised in the, in the nature, like you mentioned, they got pushed around in this mm. game. I mean, they allowed 200 yards rushing. Dylan Gabriel was a stud in this game, but he runs for 113 yards. You, I, I just don't see that happening in a second game. Um, and I, I'm not trying to take anything away from what Oklahoma did because this is a game that should be celebrated. If you're a Sooners fan, this is a great game. This is a huge, a huge result for these two teams, and especially coming off of what we saw last year, which Brent Venables got run off the field. Dylan Gabriel didn't play in that game, but they lose 49 to nothing. That's the most points that Texas had scored in this contest going back 118 years. And it's just an incredible performance from them on Saturday. I was very impressed. They, they the defense got after it. What are they had 10 tackles for loss? Um, they had five sacks of, of Quinn Ewers. This is a, a very good Oklahoma team that really just established themselves as, as contenders in the college football playoff. But um, I do want to move on to another team uh, that potentially established themselves as a contender in the college football playoff. And that, believe it or not, the Louisville Cardinals, they have Notre Dame come on the road um, to Louisville and they look the better team the, from start to finish for the most part. And they were very impressive. And it was the two guys who, who I, I mentioned on the on college football game time. It's Jawar Jordan and it's Jamari Thrash. And if you don't know who those two players are, do yourself a favor. Go check out some of the Louisville highlights from this season. They have been electric. Jawar Jordan goes off for 143 yards and two touchdowns. Jamari Thrash has eight, eight, uh, eight receptions and a touchdown in this contest. And he's probably one of the more exciting wide receivers in college football right now. Um, he can take the top off of defense, Tyreek Hill style. And Notre Dame just looked tired in this game. And it's one of the results of difficult scheduling. And I know for years, Notre Dame had had received negative commentary on, on the type of schedule that they played. And that's not the case anymore. This is their third consecutive top 25 ranked or ranked opponent. Uh, and I think it showed. They had two very emotional finishes, one against Ohio State that they lost and one against Duke that they won. Then they have to go on the road for a second consecutive week, and that's not easy. That sort of thing is not easy on a team. And Abe, not, I think Not to mention, by the way, that they've got USC coming up. Yeah, and it, they were in a tough spot, and I think they are going to be hard-pressed to not let bad become worse. This is just a – the wheels are very close to falling off. This snaps a 30-game winning streak in the ACC that dated back to 2017. Just an incredible streak that they had, um, but that came to an end with this loss and likely any hope of postseason aspirations. Yeah, very interesting game, uh, this one. And I think a lot of people were familiar with Jamari Thrash. Uh, uh, probably not as many as familiar with Jordan. And uh, that was uh, an outstanding showing. And really, I thought Louisville needed that sort of performance from him. I don't think you wanted to put too much on the shoulders of Jack Plummer. Uh, we've seen him have some good games, but we've also seen him have some bad games. And this was a game that, uh, again, I, you know, maybe maybe this week is about physicality, right? We, we mm-hmm. talked about Georgia out physically in Kentucky. 
and being able to stop the run. We, we talked about Oklahoma maybe surprising Texas a little bit. I was surprised Notre Dame. Uh, again, I, I thought they'd be better a week ago in the trenches against Duke. They didn't really show up there. Um, and, and they really didn't get the job done here. And Louisville took full advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisville felt like kind of some of those Purdue teams of the past couple of years with the Rondale Moores, and that's a, not to, you know, with, but um, it felt like they needed big plays, uh, weird plays to sometimes get on the scoreboard. Uh, that wasn't the case. And now they got big plays, but it wasn't just some sort of freak tipped ball nonsense that, that, that goes, you know, the distance against Ohio state. This was big boy football for Louisville uh, that we really hadn't seen from them uh, in, in quite a while. And this is a big win for coach Brom. Uh, it's a big win for the program. And look, their schedule is manageable. I know it sounds weird. The ACC's all sorts of mucked up with who plays who. There's potential, and I'm not predicting this, Garrett, but there's potential of three teams being undefeated in the ACC all the way through the conference title game. Louisville, of course, being one of them. Because the schedule, they just aren't playing each other. Yeah. And this was a big step for for Louisville. And um I was really surprised. Uh, I, I I really was surprised. And it was a complete effort. Um, and when they got control, this was what the most impressive thing was for me. Once they got control of this game, there was no letting Notre Dame back into it. It, mm-hmm. it felt like there was no chance for Notre Dame to climb back into it. They seized control of this game, and they kept a tight, tight grip on it throughout the majority of the second half. Very impressive performance. Uh, I think they found their recipe for success in terms of what you're asking your quarterback to do, what you're asking some of the other members of your offense to do. Uh, Louisville, I mean, they are jumping into the rankings. And look, they're still in that group of other teams that are undefeated, that are in this weird little tier. We probably don't believe that they can make the playoffs, but they are the zero still next to that loss column. So um, very impressed by what they were able to do. Excited to see what they do moving forward now now they've got some eyes on them mm-hmm. they're no longer underdogs now they've got a little bit of pressure and they're going to have to approach the games a little bit different some teams thrive under that some teams collapse under that looking forward to seeing what the cardinals do moving forward yeah they have their first top t- uh, top 10 wins in back-to-back seasons i think in school history uh in consecutive seasons and both come at the hands of sam hartman Last year it was Wake Forest. Uh, this year it's Sam Hartman at Notre Dame, and he throws multiple inter- interceptions in this game. He just looks kind of hapless out there, and he just sort of got pushed around a bit. Um, but you talked about that schedule, and I do want to talk about that real quick because next week they go on the road to Pitt. That's a very winnable football game. But I mean, it, don't don't forget they they were not good on the road uh, against NC State. They squeaked no. out a 13-10 win. That's their only road game this season. So mm-hmm. I, I know you say it's not a great game. I know the spread opened at almost ten. But I'm going to have, again, it's, it's a different sort of pressure. They did not look good on the road the first time. I'm going to have an extra eye on this. Normally, this might be a game where I wouldn't really keep too much focus on. Uh, I'm going to be paying attention. They need to show up in that game. Yep. And you, so they go on the road to Pittsburgh. Then they have Duke coming to count to town. Number seven. You assume Duke. Riley Leonard's back or not back? It'll that's be, my biggest you know, thing is that's the yeah. thing. You've got to watch. All of a sudden, Duke could be having two college game days on their hands if those are two teams that are – if they just maintain where they are. But – Right, the status of Riley Leonard, the quarterback for the Duke Blue Devils, of course, is going to be looming large in that one. Um, but then they have Virginia Tech at home, and they have Virginia at home. Those are two wins. Um, and then you have the, a road contest against Miami, 
which you never know what's going to happen in that game. Uh, it's a wounded animal in Miami, like we're going to discuss here in just a little bit. Then you have Kentucky. So it's not the craziest of schedules. I think their three ranked opponents are all three winnable football games. And I think that they could be a team. I don't necessarily see them as a college football playoff contender, but they are a team that could contend for an ACC title. One team that I do see as a college football playoff contender are the Alabama Crimson Tide. And, and I remember saying on this very podcast that I said, if you're going to dance on the grave of the Alabama Crimson Tide, make sure you dance lightly because they will jump up and bite you given their first opportunity. And they did that to Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies. They get the win on the road at Texas A&M 26 to 20. And Abe Gordon, Alabama's back. Jalen Milrow, I know you had massive question marks about the quarterback. And I know that I, I picked against them in this game. I flip-flopped at the last second like I did a few on a few games. Uh, but Jalen Milrow throws for 321 yards, completes more important, almost more impressively, 73% of his passes. He has three touchdowns in this game. And ironically, the thing that I expected them to be able to do in this game was run the football. They didn't do that. They had negative 13 yards rushing in the first half, and then they finished this game with 23. That's the third lowest of the Nick Saban era at Alabama. And I'm very impressed with what I saw from Alabama, and I think that they have thrust themselves squarely into the middle of the college football playoff conversation. Yeah, and, and look, at the end of the day, uh, assuming they make their way through the SEC West, they're still going to have to beat Georgia to get in there. A loss to Georgia in the SEC title game would remove them from that consideration. Sure. You know what's become very interesting about Jalen Milrow is because I have not changed my feelings on him, um, but they have figured out what they want to do with him. And if you watch that game, he is so boomer bust because he still cannot make a throw under 10 yards. He overthrow overthrew multiple guys who are wide open on checkdowns. It's ugly, but they're just running guys down the field and they are letting them chuck it up there. And that's how you end up with Jermaine Burton with 197 yards and two touchdowns. And it was, it was big play or no play. And if that's what they have to do on offense, that's what they're going to do. And like you said, don't count out Nick Saban. He has figured out what works for their guy, as limited as he is. He throws a great deep ball. He uses his legs. Now, they didn't use his legs too much. They were relying on his arm, and that's fine. They got the job done. They took advantage of AM, who was a little weak on the back end, pretty good up front, as you mentioned, in regards to stopping the run. But I, I don't know how far you can take that style of quarterback. Um, it's going to be really interesting. You know, Georgia's strength, I, I think we could all argue, at least to this point in the season, has been on defense, their secondary. And, yeah. and for, for you're now asking, and now I know we're fast-forwarding a bunch of weeks here, but theoretically you're asking Jalen Milrow to just beat Georgia with deep balls when that's probably the thing they defend the best and so it's very interesting that that is what they've settled on as this is what our quarterback has here are his limitations let's take advantage of what he does well and and it's pretty much just go down the field let me hawk it out there and see what happens and in this instance it was a clear advantage for Jermaine Burton there's no doubt about that he was absolutely outstanding there were a couple of deep balls that he nearly came down with that 
didn't get tacked on to the completion percentage of the yardage or the touchdowns, but uh, he, they were giving him 50, 50 balls all day long. And, and more than uh, more than not, he, he was coming down with it. So very interesting to see. That's what their offense has become. But on the other side of the ball, uh, you know, we talked about Max Johnson had come into this Texas A&M team and, and kind of re-energized the team offensively. We saw a little bit of it on Saturday afternoon, but yeah. not nearly enough. Uh, I, I mean, he did throw a touchdown, but he also threw an interception. The run game never got going for him uh, uh, either, which, which certainly hurt. And uh, there just wasn't enough. The crowd did their best to try and keep them in it. Uh, but it just wasn't there. This this is a very good win for Alabama to go on the road, knowing limitations that you have on your offense, finding a way to work within those limitations to maximize your output. They did that, and the 26-20, obviously A&M scored late. The, the game was probably a little bit wider of a gap than that. So very impressive uh, win by Alabama. And, and you're right, they are back in that discussion. If they're able to run the table, if they're able to knock out uh, Georgia in the SEC championship game, a one-loss Alabama, with, with with that one loss being what it was, would most likely be in the college football playoffs. Uh, I would go a step further if they go if they finish this season and win the SEC title game with one loss, they're they're debatably I, the second overall just, seed. There's always We're debatably a, the number two team in the country, but yeah, but there's a, well or or debatably they'd be out i mean there's still a hypothetical of we'll teams see. being undefeated i mean we'll see you got big I mean, 10 you got a long way to go you got it's a long way to go well yeah i just i don't think they would be the number two seed if there's multiple undefeated so that's all maybe maybe not but uh i will say though about the schedule specifically so now that you finish up this game against texas a&m who i would say is very well deserving of a top 25 ranking um it was almost curious that they didn't have one compared to their other Baton Rouge partners in the in the SEC West, but now you have your biggest contests pretty much exclusively at home. You've got Arkansas coming to town next week. You've got Tennessee, number nineteen team in the country, coming to Tuscaloosa. Then you follow that up with a bye week, and then LSU coming to town. Um, then you go on the road to Kentucky, and that's the biggest thing. And then what do you do at Jordan Hare Stadium? which I'm very interested to see what they do against this Auburn defense. I'm not trying to get too, too far ahead of myself, but Abe, is this a team that you see going undefeated the rest of the way? I see some pretty massive stumbling blocks depending on what Tennessee and LSU can do. I, they're out of their schedule, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky, and Auburn. If you could only take one of those teams that you think would beat Alabama – uh, I'm going to pull my hand to the screen because I'm holding up a signal. Who do you think that is? Of these teams? Yeah. I'm going to say LSU probably. Okay. I, mean, I, well, I, I had a T for Tennessee. I don't uh, think. The, Tennessee the, the on the Tennessee road. Tennessee interesting. I, I want to get a, a better look at them and, and what they're doing, but uh, they, they feel like a team offense, defense, maybe they can compete. The LSU thing is just so problematic because of their defense. I can't get behind them beating pretty much anyone. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> we're just being, I, I just, dude, it's so bad. I thought they would step up and ball up a little bit this week. I know they escaped with what, you know, defensive touchdown, but <laughs> we're not going to, but, um, yeah, I, I do think it's a, a relatively manageable schedule, and I do not see them stumbling uh, at least to the point of the SEC championship game. I, I agree with you. I think they get there 11-1, and one, and uh, everything is right in front of them. Everything will be on the table 
yeah. uh, assuming it is Georgia and undefeated Georgia. Everything will be on the table, and the winner is going to the college football playoffs. That 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 is what I see in the future for Alabama. Now, again, there are limitations. Uh, don't, don't let it twist you. I, I think there are severe limitations on this offense. I think they can be limited uh, by the correct defensive approach. It'll be interesting to see how teams adjust. You know, I didn't think this would be uh, – while I knew this was – the strength and weakness of what they could do. I was shocked to see Saban be like, just throw it deep and see what happens. That's how we're going to run our offense. It's like me and Madden pretty much, except it worked out quite well. They got Jermaine Burton. They're running a pass interference offense. That's what I called it. Basically. Um, But um, it would be interesting to see how teams adjust because I was still disgusted by the fact that Jalen Milrose was overthrowing intermediate routes. And like, like very badly overthrowing them. He's but this gets hit me those. to He's this gets me hit to those. something. But what this is why I said LSU, Tennessee. Tennessee is a team that wants to run the ball. If you're a team that wants to establish your identity as running the football, you're likely not going to have a. Ton you're going shootout. You're going shootout. They're just not ready. I'm going to say it. that. Okay, that's but, fair. But yeah, it's a thing. Like Tennessee wants to run the football. I know they talk about Joe Milton and, and Hinden Hooker last year, but this, this is a team that wants to run the ball. You're in a road contest against Alabama. You're going to need a little bit more to to actually get points on the board, and you need to take that defense or that that crowd out of it. You need to uh, establish yourself. And I'm not 100 percent convinced that Tennessee is going to be able to do that in a road game. We've seen what they've looked like in a game against Florida, where the running game gets kind of taken away. They don't look very good. I don't see Alabama necessarily being able to slow down LSU, and I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up if they can't slow them down at least a little bit. And that's why I'm going to say LSU just specifically, because I'm looking at the the Texas A&M receivers right here. They finished the day with 239 yards passing in total, but I'm looking specifically at the longs. So Mm -hmm. Anaya Smith, long of 37, Moose Muhammad, the third, 31 yards, Evan Stewart, 32 yards, Jake Johnson, 22 yards, Le'Veon Moss, 11 yards. All five people who caught a pass went double digits on their long. You have a team like LSU who's going to be coming into into Tuscaloosa. They like to throw the ball around the field, and I guarantee you Jaden Daniels is a massive, massive step up from whatever Max Johnson was – whatever Max Johnson is. I mean, we saw last year he took the starting job away from him uh, at LSU. And, and, uh, and look, Texas A&M gave all that they could in this game. I thought that they looked altogether pretty good. I, they had some – Question: There are some questionable things from Jimbo Fisher in particular in this game that, look, I don't think the dude's destined to be a successful head coach anymore. I just don't think he's got that set up in front of him anymore. That's just the nature of the game. I think the game has passed him by, and uh, it's a difficult time to be a Texas A&M Aggie just in general because you got a big old contract that you have. And uh, I think the next question is now becoming how much of that are you willing to stomach and pay off? Um, but I do want to move on a little bit here. I'm going to go out west and talk about what UCLA was able to do on Saturday over Washington State. Washington State comes into this football game. Cam Ward was third in FBS in passing. This is one of the best offenses in all of college football, and all they did was hold them to 17 points. They made Cameron Ward look relatively pedestrian, um, and they forced four turnovers that they turned into 16 points. The offense itself wasn't super great for UCLA. Carson Steele was very effective on the ground. They, You could tell exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to run the football because they don't necessarily trust the freshman quarterback to win the games with his arms. Uh, but look, he did just enough. He didn't. He managed the football game 
effectively enough. And then the Bruins defense, man, I think they're going to be a problem for one of these teams, one of these top teams out there uh, in the Pac-12 this season. Uh, Look, they've already derailed one undefeated team. Maybe they'll be able to do it again later on this season. But, hey, credit to UCLA for what they were able to do in this game. Yeah, this is case in point why I, I, I have concerns about anyone out of the Pac-12 getting to the college football playoffs. A, a team like UCLA, who is essentially not in that discussion because of their loss earlier in the season, has played uh, played spoiler. And, and there's so many teams that can play spoiler in that conference. Their, their defense is legitimate. Uh, Utah, I think, was very lucky to squeak by when they did. Uh, and, and yeah, UCLA would be a real problem if they had a slightly better, uh, quarterback and Dante Moore, nothing wrong with him. Look, he is a freshman and he is going through it. He is figuring it out. He was better this week than he was a week ago. And so, um, you know, this was a good step up for, for them offensively, but their defense is a real problem for, for opposing teams. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how some of the other teams, some of the powerful offenses in that conference handle it. Washington State, as you mentioned, did not handle it very well. And so uh, it's just such a difficult conference. And, yeah, and you know, you kind of had put Oregon State and UCLA over here, Utah, the teams with the one loss. But, uh, look, you may not be holding them in consideration for a college football playoff run, but they are all of those teams very possible and very likely to play spoiler for the teams you are looking at for a college football playoff run. It's going to be very difficult to get through this year undefeated for anyone uh, in the PAC 12 and UCLA is just, man, uh, when you talk about all of the great offenses and the quarterbacks that are going on in that conference, sometimes I like that old school team who can just get it done on that side of the ball at yep. every level, the front, all the way to the back, and through the middle with the linebackers, they have an outstanding defense. They're fun to watch. I know not everyone likes to watch like good defensive teams. I, I particularly do. I always have, yep. uh, and I really like watching UCLA. If that man, it, they would be real dangerous if they had a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they, I, you know, we'll, we'll see how much uh, more can progress as the season goes on. It, Felt like this was a good step forward for him, even though he did have two interceptions. Uh, they got a, a really good win. And uh, look, they're just here to play spoiler. And, and now, unfortunately, it looks like that's the role Washington State wants to play as well. Well, I mean, here's the other thing that I will say about the Pac-12. I know you're saying that the, they're – I'm not going to relegate loss, them One to, loss could get into the playoffs. A one loss will get into the playoffs. Yeah. I'm going to take that a step further. The Pac-12, we talked to Dan Lanning on Saturday, the head coach of the Oregon Ducks. On paper, they're the best conference in football. Sure. They really are. And I think that if they're not, then they're they're right there at the very top. This season, UCLA is a four and one team, or excuse me, I think it's four and one or five and one. Um, but this is a t- four and one. So this is a team that I think could still go play in a Rose Bowl. You know, like this is this is a good football team. They don't, I don't think that they're going to go the full through throughout the rest of the season undefeated necessarily, but this is a group that, you know what, they're going to be in every football game they play, you know, and, and that's the credit of having good defense. Uh, I think that the, the freshman quarterback is going to hold them back, like you mentioned, but they found something in this game. They found a rushing attack that can actually spell their offense, you know, and, and give them another dimension that they didn't have when they played Utah, which yeah. again, 
is another good football team in the Pac-12. And I think that there are six, seven teams that would potentially be very good teams no matter what conference they played in. They would be legitimate spoilers in any conference that they played in. And the Pac-12 is continuing to be just the most interesting and fun conference in college football this year. Uh, I, I love what I saw in this game. I love what I saw from U, UCLA, and I'm exact, but I'm exactly like you. I love strong defense. I think good defense makes games more interesting and a lot more fun. Touchdowns are great, uh, and I know that we're going to see that next week uh, in a game that some people might foolishly call an elimination game between Washington and Oregon. That game is going to be a lot of fun. I think that's going to be a little bit on the flip side of whatever this game was. They're going to be having a little bit of high-flying fun offense, and that's going to be our college football game time game of the week, unless you think otherwise, which I don't think you do. Uh, that's I, I the one, baby. That's John Fricky and everybody else. Is, I mean, this is going to be – Who's Just Nebraska play? He may have a dissenting opinion, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't even know who Nebraska plays on the top. Doesn't of my matter. Head. Doesn't really matter because that's all the game, eyes, baby. All eyes are going to be on the state of Washington as the uh, the Ducks go up there to go play a game in Seattle, and I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but on the the absolute opposite end of the country, we saw something that was pretty incredible. It was a pretty insane moment, and I and I will admit, I was at a and I was at an engagement party. And we just finished up at the engagement party. And I was like, all right, I got to go watch the second half of this game. Because, of course, I covered the Yellow Jackets. I wasn't able to uh, – I missed the first half just due to to obligations that I had. And I watched the second half in a uh, a bar over there in Virginia Highlands. And you know what? I celebrated with everybody else after the craziness that happened on the football field. Led, of course, by Mario Cristobal's insane decision, um, to put it nicely to not kneel the football. And he's going to get blasted for that all this week, and he deserves to, because they lose this game because of that decision, period. Georgia Tech should never have had an opportunity to win this game. They did. And it was on the 108th anniversary of the 222 to nothing win over Cumberland, which is still a college football record. They do something, a Miami miracle. They pull it off in honor of that, whatever, 1900-something college football team, and they go get a crazy win over a, a top-rated Miami team who many people expected to be a, a player in the ACC as, as they continued on. Now, they're not dead yet. They still control most of their own fate down the stretch. They have U, a trip to UNC on the line next week, which, again, is going to be another fantastic game to decide who is where on the ACC packing order, but contenders don't lose games like this, and Miami lost in just excruciating fashion. Well, it's interesting because separate of how the game finished, this was a disappointing showing for Miami, even if they had held on to win. Uh, you know, look, we were building toward, and look, we've already named Oregon, Washington, our, our college football game time game of the week, and rightfully so. This could have been a, a real discussion, though, uh, of UNC and Miami. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously separate of what happened Saturday night. But but that was going to be a, a an interesting matchup to one of those teams probably jumping into the top ten, uh, and obviously all for not at this point. You know, I had actually turned this game off, Garrett, um, because I see what's going on. I do the math in my head. It's not difficult to comprehend. No timeouts, time on the clock, how long a play clock is, and everything that goes into it. So this game's over, and then uh, you know I'm laying in bed. Uh, I've got the USC game on. I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see a bunch of of games not over yet, blah, blah, blah. Why is this happening? What what yep. is this guy doing? And I flip it back on just in time to see the fumble. And it look, 
I'm not out here. Well, I am out here calling for people's jobs, but I'm, I'm not usually out here calling for people's jobs. This is a fireable offense. It can't happen. And, and, and it's not the first time for Cristobal that it's happened. It, it happened to him at his last stop in Oregon. And it's just one of those things where you're like, how do guys get to this point in their career? And, and I'm not challenging his knowledge of the game or understanding he's forgotten more than I'll ever know, right? Whatever they say. But, but this can't happen. It really can't, and I just don't understand sometimes how it ever gets to to be that situation. And so, uh, look, I don't know if this ends up costing him his job or not. We'll see where the season goes from here. But now you're you're faced with this as a terrible loss at home, and to whatever UNC might do to you next week. And by the way. UNC had one of the performances of the weekend. If you didn't yeah. pay attention to the 40 burger, they put on what was supposed to be a relatively competitive Syracuse team, not in that game. And so we'll see how that plays out for Miami. Maybe they were looking ahead and, and maybe they'll be more prepared, whatever. But you know, what's funny for me. Hmm. There were two fireable offenses in this game, in my opinion, because obviously not taking a knee and victory formation and the fumble and everything that ensued. What are you doing throwing the, the the schoolyard play from the 45? Like, Van Dyke's got an arm to hoss it down there. Like, calling that play as opposed to a Hail Mary, you should be fired for that as well. And, and by the time you get to the second lateral and you're back behind the original line of scrimmage, you're like, well, this – I don't think this one's going to work again. Like, it's just so much of a better – not that it's like a great chance that you'll score on a Hail Mary – but that happens way more than than 38 laterals and, and a band on the field. I mean, what are we doing? He he needs to be throwing that to the end zone. I don't understand why that wasn't the call. So, yeah. uh, you know, you can pinpoint multiple aspects uh, of this. Uh, look, on the field, because Cristobal made his mistakes. On the field, though, Tyler Van Dyke's got to be smarter with the ball. A, a number of uh, turnovers in the second half let Georgia Tech back into this game. And then, obviously, the back and forth. Uh, a broken play um, uh, on the backside for Miami. Haynes King does a great job extending. Uh, looks like he's going to scramble instead. Uh, continues uh, horizontally to to extend that and, and gets the guy open. Now, I will say this. The receiver for Georgia Tech, who kind of slid into the end zone, Christian Leary, yeah, was a little. I would have liked another replay because it looked like he, I was like, "Man, what are you doing going down too?" That's not a good look either. But uh, luckily, the touchdown stood. Yeah, uh, great win for Tech. Something they very badly needed uh, coming off of what we saw uh, against Bowling Green. Even if they hadn't won the game. I think they were, you know, unfortunately, we're looking for positives or rent key in what could be a, a, a toilet bowl of a season. Um, and you're trying to find moral victories. And, and then this happened, though. And now it becomes not a moral victory, an actual victory. Uh, put the one up in the W column. It, it was a crazy. Incredible maybe the, I mean, game. is this the craziest finish to a game this season? I mean, we've had some good finishes throughout. You I mean, obviously, so. we, we had some last-second uh, heroics. Obviously, Ohio State-Notre Dame was on the last play of the game. Yeah, uh, you, you had Texas-Oklahoma came down to the final moments of that mm -hmm. game. Uh, certainly, we've had some nice backdoor covers on some defensive plays in the final moments of the game. But uh, 
the, I almost would have said all of those are, are more reliable, more predictable percentage wise. I mean, I know they do that stupid like win percentage score crap yeah. that I hate and it's never accurate because people are idiots and stuff like this happens. It had to be 100%, not even 99.9. It had to be a literal 100% when you've got the ball, second down, no timeouts, and you should be doing what everyone else would have done. Um, Kneel the ball. It, it Does he learn his lesson? He did this at Oregon too. I don't know. If I he think he does lesson. learn his lesson, but is it too late? I, I really, there were questions. Too, it's about not too him. late. It's not too there late. Were, no, it's not like, but he's, but does now he you really got to go on a run this, this year. Does he lose the locker room a, after this? I think he's lost the boosters, which is more important than the locker room. We'll see. We'll see. They have a chance to, to correct a lot of different things in a road contest up there against North Carolina. But, I mean, Haynes King, he, he channeled his inner Doug Flutie, and, and uh, they come away with a win. Uh, just an incredible game from them. It, it, and what's most impressive to me, though, is the fact that Georgia Tech, and, of course, this is the, the value of the turnover. Um, Georgia Tech won the turnover battle. They, they dominated Tyler Van Dyke in that specifically. He had the three interceptions, and then they also lost that fumble. Um, Miami outgains them in this contest, 454 to 250. They had 23 first downs compared to the Yellow Jackets, 12. You read those stats to me after the game, and you had told me that it was three not, a 3 nothing deficit at halftime. I would have thought you were insane. The fact that they would win the game at all is insane. The fact that they were even in this football game is crazy to me. But for whatever reason, I mean, Brent Key talked about this in his post-game press conference. He said effectively that he looked at the he looked at the stat sheet and he tossed it to the side and he said, not that that matters. None of that matters. Because what happens is what showed up on the field and Georgia Tech really did it. And look, Brent Key is now 5-1 and one on the road in the ACC against against ACC opponents. He's 3-0 and oh against ranked ACC opponents on the road. So if anything, we have an identity with Brent Key and this Georgia Tech football team is that they're going to be a tough out on the road. They just don't never count them out. And, and I, I appeared on a bunch of podcasts coming into this game, and a lot of Miami people were very interested in, in what Georgia Tech could be coming off of a Bowling Green loss. And I said to him, I said, don't sleep on this team. Do not sleep on this team because this is a bunch that will rally and fight hard. Uh, Brent Key has the ability and he's shown the ability to rally his troops. And he did that again on Saturday, which is, you could say that this is the biggest win of his career uh, as the head coach. I could argue that they've had some wins that are perfectly comparable to it. The win against Pittsburgh, the win against North Carolina last year, and they've got to, they're going to have to go on the road and do some other big con big things this year is if they want to reach bowl eligibility. But I, I think everything for the most part is still in front of Georgia tech this season. They're now three and three, they're two and one in the ACC and, they control their destiny as far as bowl eligibility. But, Abe, I do want to move on to our week six takeaways uh, because I want to lead and say a lot of contenders, a lot of the big-time contenders, they're not dead yet. We talked about Alabama and how they completely control their destiny right now. Texas, too. They completely control their destiny. I think that this was potentially the wake-up call that they needed because, like I said earlier, most college football champions don't go undefeated. Florida won two national titles in the late 20, 2000s, and neither of one of those seasons, they were undefeated. Uh, you look at all the Clemson teams that won national championships, the Alabama teams that won national championships. I think only two of those teams were undefeated for Alabama, Nick Saban. 
Georgia, Georgia's last year uh, going 15 and 0 was a bit of an anomaly. I think that it only happened twice or three times, actually. I think it happened three times where the, the college football champion has been undefeated. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this team, I think needed this wake up call. They, they kind of got matched physically by Oklahoma and, and the thing that I just didn't expect to happen as at least in the way that it did, but they're not dead yet. And then on top of that, the ACC is not going to be as simple as we thought. It's not just Florida state and whoever else shows up in the ACC title game. No, Miami might've lost, but North Carolina is right there in the thick of things. They had a 40 burger last or on a, on Saturday night, Drake may throws for 442 yards and he only just got his best weapon back in Tess Walker. And here comes Louisville. So I think the ACC is going to be very interesting down the stretch. You mentioned it earlier. None of those three top teams play each other. So who knows what happens? But the ACC is going to be very fun, very interesting. I know we've talked a lot about the Pac-12, but a lot of college football contenders, they're not dead. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of going to play this uh, the other way. And, and while I agree with you that teams like Texas, who has a loss, teams like Alabama, who have a loss, uh, and whoever else you want to add in from the Pac-12 or, or wherever, while they aren't necessarily dead, we have reached the point of the season where there are elimination games. And, and Washington, Oregon is one of those next week. And, and again, I agree with you that the loser of that is not necessarily dead, but but from an aspect of you no longer control your own uh, uh, future and you never know what teams well, do go undefeated. I, I No, I agree with you. I'm, in the Pac-12, they still control their their future. They still do because there are no divisions. They don't but have it, divisions. But it's it, not like the SEC. Again, you're, you're, it's, you know what? Because you've got an SEC team that can go undefeated. You've got a Big Ten team that can go undefeated. you got a Big 12. You, ACC could go undefeated. You just don't control your future for the college football playoffs. You're not getting in as a one-loss team if there are four conference champions who are undefeated. You're not. Whether it's whether it's that's Texas is not jumping in. before we have four undefeated. I agree. I that's what I'm trying to say. I agree yeah. with you. It's unlikely, but in terms of when you look at uh, on on the front page of it for where we are now, these are looked at as elimination games. I agree with you on the back end. Teams will get back into it. No doubt about it. Alabama's not dead. Texas is not dead. The loser of Oklahoma, Michigan is not dead. The loser of Penn State, uh, Michigan in a couple weeks. Uh, excuse me, I met uh, Oregon, Washington. Yeah. Not, I agree with you, we're not, they're not dead. But the exciting thing for me is we finally are now at the part of the season, and we had one this past week in Texas, Oklahoma. You've got at least one this coming week with Oregon, Washington, where you're really starting to, again, I know it's not for good, starting to eliminate a couple of these teams that are in the playoff contention. And, and again, they'll work their way back in. I agree with you, but you're starting to at least get a peck. There's been no pecking order, no semblance of who, who is the favorite in, in certain conferences. I think you're at least starting to get to that point. Uh, Oklahoma took a big step. Oregon or Washington will take a big step. It'll happen in the big 12, uh, excuse me, in the big 10 uh, in the coming weeks as well. So you're, you're really at the point where some of these games will determine who's going to be in the college football playoffs. That's super exciting for me. I love that. And I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Abe, did you have another, uh, any week six takeaways? Yeah. Uh, still don't know who the Heisman is. And, and, and I know I've kind of harped on this a couple of weeks and I thought maybe Quinn Ewers could take a step. He didn't. Um, Caleb Williams didn't look great. I know they came back offensively and, and, and got it done, but he didn't do a ton. 
I really don't know. And look, I don't think Brock Bowers is winning the Heisman. No. Who um, the Mackey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, he may win a couple of other just general offensive player of the year awards, stuff like that. Um, but I, I just don't have a Heisman favorite. Mm-hmm. And it it is the midway point. And we normally have someone. Now, that guy has not always gone on to win the Heisman, right? Last year at this time, it was Hendon Hooker's award to lose. No doubt about it. Um, there's there's no one like that this year. There, there are guys in the discussion. I think we probably take a big step. You know, in, in along with the lines of we're in these college football eliminator games, right? Dylan Gabriel took a big step. I, I think obviously the winner of Oregon Washington probably may jump to the front, whether it's Bo Nix or Michael Penix. One of those guys probably jumps to the front of the pack. Um, but there's just no one has stepped out. The numbers are all good, but they're not so incredible that you can't deny it. Uh, I, I'm just waiting to see some of these guys um separate and so far we really don't have that yet yeah we still got half a season to go we're through six weeks of college football which is just crazy to think about we got seven left uh and then all of a sudden we're gonna be in conference championships and and really looking at a college football playoff um and it's just we have a long way to go and i I think you nailed it though it's the heisman trophy to me is a discussion not really worth having until november because you need to see a body of work. And it's fun to talk about. Like it's it, like we're talking about the college football playoff and everything. You don't win it in September or October, but you can certainly lose it. And I think that there are a couple of people. There are more people who have lost their opportunity at the Heisman Trophy, like a Brock Bowers who, who didn't start off, like a Marvin Harrison Jr., like a Kyle McCord or somebody like that. But then there's other people who could play themselves into it, you know, like somebody we're not talking about right now, J.J. McCarthy. A guy who hasn't exactly well, been talking been, about him a little bit, but uh, yeah, but he's not <laughs> a guy who's necessarily. They haven't had a, a prime game. Yeah, they haven't had a game that Agreed. they've really been tested. I know they just played Minnesota, and I'm sure we're going to talk about Michigan here in just a minute. Uh, like you look at a Penn State, yep. maybe maybe they've got somebody on there, and it's it's who steps up in the biggest moments. Like RG three a few years ago, he didn't win the award until what he did against Oklahoma. Like it's one of those things. Yeah, but he didn't Bell come. From, one of those he didn't guys. come out of nowhere either. I mean, he had. No, he doesn't he come out of nowhere, of course. More, not, but more it's, touchdowns and incompletions and all that stuff. You know, I mean, it was. It, it's. But I agree with you. That that's the but, highlight game. Those you you got to have a Heisman moment. No one's been given a real chance. I haven't seen one yet. Yeah, I, I haven't agree. seen one yet. And I, I, I think that there is a chance that like, what if what if you see Carson Beck emerge and he just does more of what he did last week, where he throws for four hundred yards and four touchdowns and continues doing this. There's a lot of football left to be played is what I'm saying. And these are the games that really decide the, 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 the crux of your season uh, in November and October. Um, but I'm really excited. And we have tons of great football to discuss. And we're going to be doing it every single Monday right here on College Football Overtime. So set your set your alarm. Check, just mark a little calendar invite. Set a little reminder in your phone. Say, go to YouTube, type in College Football Overtime, and then listen to us babble on with each other. And have a good time because what's more fun than babbling about college football, Abe? Uh, it's the very best. But I, I do want to finish one last thing before we get out of here. I do want to talk about who is in your college football playoff right now. I know we've alluded to it a little bit. Abe, I'll let you go first. This is very difficult for me at this stage. And and again, I, I don't necessarily uh, rank teams the way everyone else does. I, I look at um, the resume, who you've played, who you've beaten, but also who how you've looked in those games. Uh, 
I think we probably both had the same top two teams. The same top two teams, but maybe in different order. I still have Michigan as the number one overall seed. Um, Georgia really tightened that get for me because I know a lot of people already had Georgia. I did. I had Georgia maybe out uh, at fifth. You or had them at like six or week seven ago. last week. Yeah, that that has completely changed. Um, they have really tightened that gap based on what I saw against Kentucky. But I still have Michigan. Um, as so far the best all-around team that I've seen this year. I have Georgia number two right after that. that that's how impressive uh, and significant, the, not just the win, but how they looked from multiple aspects, from the offense getting going to the defense blowing up, all that stuff. So uh, Georgia two, and, and now's where it gets really, really tricky. Um, I think I'm going to go Oklahoma three. Mm. Based on the the heels of, of, of that win for them um, at the Cotton Bowl, so I'm going to go Oklahoma three. Sounds like somebody disagrees. Yeah, she does. Um, I've got Florida State four. That that's less how uh, impressive they've looked and more just based on the resume. Ohio State five because of the resume, and then Oregon. I've got it six as one of the two out. Uh, again, for them, it's not the resume as much as it is how they looked. Uh, and so um, the obvious ones to me are Michigan, Georgia. Uh, th- those have looked like the two best teams now that Georgia finally showed up. After that, you're, you grade them however you want. I'll give Oklahoma the three and Florida State the four with Ohio State and, and Oregon all, all, all outside looking in. Washington, Penn State hovering as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to be very consistent with these uh, just in general. I, we've got eight teams who are really jockeying for these six spots of consideration, I guess. And then eventually the four who, who will be representing college football at the end of the season. Now, my number one team is Georgia. I, I think that they've been the best team in college football and they showed it on Saturday. You hold a guy like Ray Davis to, to what 50 yards rushing, something like that, just a, a right on the heels of his 200 plus yards against Florida, which is, a, a, by all means, a, a very good rush defense in its own right. But Georgia finally looked like Georgia for the first time this season, and I think that that is – I think that that bit of a scare that they had against Auburn was just the catalyst that they needed, and I think Carson Beck kind of found a new gear in the fourth quarter of that football game, and I, I think that could help propel them into the rest of the season. My number two team – there she is. My number two team is going to be Michigan. I think that they have consistently been – the most consistent team on both offense and defense this this season. They just showed uh, against Minnesota why they are as why like, largely respected as they are. Uh, I mean, you you lose your head coach for the first three games of the season and they don't even miss a beat. Um, Michigan's my number two team in the country, and that's and that's pretty close. And then it's Florida State. I think that they have the. I still think they have the two best wins uh, of anybody in the country. Um, they just rolled Virginia Tech on Saturday. They didn't. They didn't even. It wasn't even close that football game that they looked like a team that looks like a well-oiled machine and well on their way to, to representing the ACC, at least in the title game, if not the college football playoff as the, once the season gets going. And then this fourth spot is very difficult for me. Um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to roll with Ohio state just because of the way that they won uh, against Notre Dame on the road, difficult environment. And no, this is not the same two loss Notre Dame team that we saw against Louisville. This is a team that was, fresh off of playing some of its best football and in a big spot in a home game and probably one of the biggest home games that they'd had in South Bend in some time. And 
they won the football game in a game that they didn't look super great. And I still haven't seen the best Ohio State. I, I don't think we've seen that team yet. And this is a group that I think on paper should be a lot better offensively than they have been. I think they can still find that gear. I'm just going to be worried if they can't find it before the Penn States come in, before the Michigan comes in. And if they can't, if they look like they did against Maryland in that first half, they're not going to win either of those football games. And we're not even going to be in this discussion at that point. Uh, but after that, then I'm going to say the winner of Washington, Oregon. I don't know who it's going to be yet. So it's like, it's kind of like I was, I had, so originally I had both of them in my fourth spot just because they're going to decide who's who next week. I'll tell you right now, but, the, the winner of that game will immediately jump to number three for me. I, I would, they'll probably jump to that yeah. for me as well. And I think it's going to be Oregon, but we're going to continue that discussion. I'm going to flip flop on that probably. Uh, yeah. I was going to I have no um, idea. I have no idea, but I'm going to be picking it on Saturday. So I might as well get something figured out. I'm probably, I might roll with Oregon. I'm not sure yet. I gotta, I gotta do some digging there. Um, but I, I'd say that the winner of that game is likely to jump up into that three spot. And then it's Penn state and Oklahoma rounding out the back end of that. And I already cheated. I said, what, who's your top six? And I, I, I give you eight because yeah, I did too. I, there's eight teams in discussion. And, yeah. and that was one thing I actually wanted to mention when you asked me about the takeaways, it, it sounds like you're on, on board with this one aspect as well. USC is out of this discussion right now. I don't know until they prove otherwise. Yeah. Uh, until they prove, um, they're like the SE, the LSU of the West, where it's great that you have that offense, but I just find it very difficult to believe that they're going to beat the Washingtons or the Oregons uh, based on what they have on that side of the ball. So, look, we've got the same eight teams that are in this discussion, and both of us, despite them being undefeated, despite them having the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, I think both of us have USC uh, until they prove otherwise not in that chatter. They're behind Oklahoma for me. They're behind both of their yeah. uh, Pac-12 compatriots. I mean, you got they're behind. Give, Penn it, give State. it a week. Give it one more. Give it one more. I week. think they're I'm behind probably... Texas. They're behind Texas too. Well, for me, sure. I, I mean, look, I, I have not seen USC has played one. I would yeah. say pretty good opponent, and that was Colorado, a team that Oregon took to the woodshed and, and beat quite handily. I talked about it with our our three winners in an upset special. Yeah. I almost was, picked Arizona to win that football know, game I, outright. And I didn't because I was they didn't worried have the I starting screwed quarterback. you on that. I was worried They're, I screwed you on that, but luckily they still won, so whatever. They did. And uh but no, but but this is a team that doesn't have week. its they don't have its starting quarterback above them too. And it doesn't have its it's starting running back and you yeah. still leave them alive in this football game up until the final moments. Forget alive. If they go for two, they probably win that game. That's it. And I, look, and I would say Alabama is probably up there above him. I, I would say North Carolina could be up there above him. I would him say give it a, a week, North Carolina will jump them in my I, opinion. I think that if North Carolina goes on a, a place, Miami at home, and mm -hmm. they look as dominant as they did last Saturday, Boy, they're going to jump into the top ten because they are a really good team, and they are that much better now that Tez Walker has been added to this front. And, and look, I am so excited for what North Carolina can do. There are a lot of teams that still control their destiny. We yeah. are, there are teams that are kicking the crap out of each other. I mean, hell, we have one SEC team that's undefeated now. Now it's a team that I, I don't think is going to be tested all that much throughout the rest of the season. They got some good team games coming up, Ole Miss and Tennessee and Florida and mm -hmm. every other game. Those, those do matter a great deal, plus the SEC championship. But there's a lot of good football teams right now. And I think that this 
this field is quite crowded. Um, because if you want to talk about people who are still alive, I'd say the top 15 teams in the country are still alive, theoretically. But no, Ole, Ole, got a long Ole way Miss to go. Is, Ole Miss is 13, so maybe maybe not. Maybe not that one. But you know what? <laughs> the, the the Ole Miss is still four. And I, one. I'm kidding. I know they're still know. four and one. They look bad against Alabama, but I don't know if they're actually going to have an opportunity there. But you could say that at least. The I mean, look, if they beat Georgia, uh, you never know. If they beat Georgia, they jump in. All of a sudden, it, yeah. they become a very interesting team. But Abe Gordon, uh, I, I think that was a a very great week of college football, and I and I am so excited for next week because we have. Multiple, multiple very interesting matchups. I think uh, Notre Dame, I think, is also next week. Uh, Notre Dame USC, USC is next week. Yeah. Notre That's Dame Open be a is a fascinating contest for two the and a half point favorites. Yeah. Fourth straight top 25 matchup for Notre Dame. I want to, I just wonder if they still have any gas left in that tank, but we'll see on Saturday. You have North Carolina, Miami, like we mentioned. That is going to be a massive game for the ACC pecking order. Then for the national narrative of what the Pac 12 is going to be this year. A lot of that's going to be figured out on Saturday as Oregon and Washington take each other on. And, and probably the biggest football game that we've seen this year. I don't think many people expected that to be the case, but I really think that these are the two best, two of the best teams in the country. And they're going to be squaring off on Saturday. This can be our college football game time game of the week. So you got to jump in with us on Saturday. If you can't join us in your car, do it on the Odyssey app. Just download it right there on your phone. We'll do it. And then uh, eight, eight o'clock till noon, Abe Gordon, Garrett Chapman and John Fricky taking you up, giving you all the, all the college football news that you need. And then tune in here every single Monday morning as we take care of you and help you recap all of the news and all of the college football that you love so much. Thank you so much for listening. I am very excited for another awesome week of college football coming up next week. For Abe Gordon, I'm Garrett Chapman. We are College Football Overtime. I will see you next week when we have a ton more college football to discuss. Thanks. <laughs>